on this episode of the World of CONCACAF podcast, we are three-fourteenths of the way through the final round of World Cup qualifying. We've got all the details and a bunch of travel stories on this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the World of CONCACAF podcast. I am Eric Schmitz. And I'm Jonathan Slate. And I'm Donald Wine. And we're here to talk about CONCACAF, which is probably why you're here, to listen to us talk about CONCACAF. Uh, There's a lot going on. We kind of want to get through as much as we can in a short period of time. We don't want to keep you too long. Uh, So let's get right to the CONCACAF newswire, because there's been a lot happening. Uh, Donald... uh, you want to catch us up on something that happened right before the international break? Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, the U.S. Department of Justice awarded $201 million. That is, yes, you heard that right. $201 million to the FIFA Foundation as compensation for losses that FIFA, CONCACAF, and Common Bowl had suffered as victims of decades of football corruption schemes. That is, my, that is not my quote. <laughs> that is straight from the Department of Justice. This was money that was apparently seized from the bank accounts of former officials who were involved in and then prosecuted for years of corruption schemes throughout football. So the funds are going into this newly created fund that FIFA has established called the World Football Remission Fund and is supposed to help finance football related projects with positive community impact across the globe. Will that money ever see? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Next podcast, podcast, we will dive into whether or not that is actually going to happen. But for some reason, FIFA was purported to be the victim here. And because of that, they got $201 million. So the U.S. is paying out to the organizations that took the, the people took the money from. The U.S. is footing the bill for that. Basically. All right. You know what? This is really good news for various ventures around CONCACAF. Cool. That's awesome. Uh, so hopefully that money gets to good use. Um, <laughs> speaking of spending a lot of money, uh, Jonathan, what's going on with the 2026 World Cup? Yeah, so we FIFA has, is kicking off their venue visits this week. Um, to host to the U.S. host cities or potential U.S. host cities. So um, starting the 15th to the 23rd, um, there will be the FIFA delegation will visit nine U.S. cities um, starting in Boston. So the Boston, Nashville, Atlanta, Orlando, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, uh, New York slash New Jersey, Philadelphia, and Miami. We do know um, as the two Nashville base, uh, two of the three of us being Nashville based, that they were here um, with the game against Canada. So there were FIFA de- visit or FIFA members here, and then they okay. will be in Nashville on the 16th as well for their official visit. So um, we should see in the next couple weeks, getting more information as where these cities are going to be, um, you know, kind of where, where everything's going to fall. They are going to be visiting, uh, toward the end of October, November, they'll be visiting this, the potential host cities in Canada and Mexico as well. Yeah. I mean, 
it is we're getting to the end of 2021 here 2026 is going to be coming up real quick so exciting news there for the CONCACAF hosted 2026 World Cup uh the other thing on the newswire we do want to touch on that's kind of late breaking news um Gus Hiddink the manager of the Curacao national team famous coach uh from the Netherlands uh he is actually recently retired uh, he announced this week that he is retiring. He's no longer coaching not only the Curacao national team, but he is not coaching at all anymore. He says he's done. Uh, Hiddink actually only coached two matches on the sideline for Curacao. Uh, he missed most of this summer uh, due to COVID and was replaced at the time by Patrick Clivert, the, the famous international star uh the the full-time replacement has not been named as of yet uh but we're expecting news on that to come with nations league next year rapidly approaching so those are the key things on the concaf newswire uh world cup qualifying has started so we're gonna go right to scoreboard watch uh the first window of the final round of concaf world cup qualifying three match days Jonathan, take us through what happened. Yeah, so we're going to go through and we're going to talk about all the... So first match day, um, September 2nd. So Canada with a 1-1 draw against Honduras. Um, that was Honduras went up 1-0 via penalty, and then Canada equalized in the 66th minute. Um, a 0-0 draw between Panama and Costa Rica. Uh, we then saw Mexico barely beat uh, with an 89th minute winner against Jamaica, uh, a 2-1 win over Jamaica in an empty stadium. Uh, and then, of course, a 0-0 draw between El Salvador and the United States. So looking at that first match day, uh, what stood out to you guys? I mean, I can probably speak for Donald here as well. I saw one game each of these match days. Uh, so I don't have a lot of intel. All I know is really disappointed to see that Mexico was able to snag that late winner um, because that first day was pure CONCACAF, like just draws all over the place. I think the one thing about being on the road, and we'll talk about it in a second, is that you got to see way more highlights of these games. So I actually did get to see a lot of the what happened in all these games because their sports center, all they talk about is soccer instead of, you know, soccer being a footnote at the end of a broadcast we got an entire broadcast where they caught us up on all of the games that we had missed while we were at the u.s game so uh i did get to see that late winner it's stupid i didn't like it moving on <laughs> not a fan all right so moving on to the second match day jamaica with his 3-0 loss at home to panama el salvador and honduras a 0-0 draw costa rica uh losing 1-0 at home to Mexico. And then, of course, the United States uh, won, Canada won. Um, what, what, what are your takeaways from this one? Um, once again, Mexico won. I didn't like that. Uh, the one, I think the one shocking result, obviously, was uh, Jamaica losing 3-0 at the office. Now, mind you, they are not allowing fans into the stadium yet, so there was no fans at that game. Uh, the second straight time that Jamaica did not have any fans to watch them play. I don't know if that affected them, uh, but it's clearly uh, something was going wrong with them in that second match day where they should have not, if they lost, whatever, but they should not have lost 3-0. 
Yeah, Jamaica, obviously they were struggling through all the roster issues, not being able to have a lot of their uh, European-based players come in for these games. And the, the few that were able to make it, they only got to play that one game. Uh, so when you have a group that's in flux, obviously that's that's kind of tough to put in a game plan when things keep changing so much. Uh, so yeah, it's really disappointing to see Jamaica with a poor showing in this first window. Um, but also the U.S.-Canada match, like, great result for Canada. They had a great game plan. They could have got three points out of that game. Uh, very disappointing result for the U.S. You got to win your home games. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm going to touch on this now rather than at the end after looking at all three match days. I think the Jamaica result, especially in this one, being at home, being at home with all of their guys, so with the Mikel Antonio's, um, Ravel Morrison's all of the all of their English based players that were not able to travel to Mexico or to Costa Rica, seeing them perform better in those games versus you know the game where they had everybody available, I think was the biggest surprise for me. Yeah, for sure. All right, then moving on to the final match day um, of this window. Um, a little bit more fireworks than the previous one. So Canada with a big 3-0 win over El Salvador. Panama with a 1-1 draw against Mexico at home. Costa Rica and Jamaica, again, a 1-1 draw. And then the U.S. Uh, with a 4-1 win over Honduras at uh, San Pedro Sula. Um, and I'm just going to quickly, before we talk about those and just takeaways from the window, uh, just update of standings. So going into uh, the October window. So you have Mexico in first on five, on seven points, Canada and the United States on five. Uh, Canada is ahead um, on alphabetical order. And then <laughs> <laughs> Panama also in in fourth with five points, they're just behind um, the U.S. and Canada based on goals uh, scored. And then we have Costa Rica with two, Honduras with two, El Salvador with two, Jamaica with one. Um, so that are your standings through the first window. Uh, thoughts? I mean, especially that third match day, Mexico again getting a late goal to get a result. Um, Panama putting up a good effort at home. You got to get your results at home. Panama almost held on for a win. Um, Canada taking care of business there. And then Jamaica was able to snag a point, which if you go through this window with nothing, you're basically done. Uh, so being able to go into Costa Rica and snag a point is good for the reggae boys. Yeah. And for El Salvador, you know, they got the two draws in their first two matches at home, and then they lose really bad on the road at Canada they go through this window having not scored a goal. Um, so even though they have two points, they, you can't call this a good window for El Salvador just for the same sheer fact that they were not able to put the ball in the back of the net. The other thing I do want to touch on is I think you saw in that third match day the effect of depth because some of these countries that don't have deep rosters, they struggled late in these games. Um, you saw it in Honduras. Uh, El Salvador could not keep up with Canada. You you see how these three match day windows might end up benefiting the deeper, larger countries going forward. 
Yeah. And I think that, you know, we talked about going into this, our thoughts on, you know, is Canada potentially the third best team in CONCACAF and, and how we feel about that. And I think we're definitely going to see Canada's got depth and a lot of these teams, your Costa Rica's, uh, Honduras, El Salvador, and Panama, they don't have the depth that Canada does. Um, and I think that's, like you said, it's going to come into play. And I think that the three, I mean, we're still early, but I think the three that you see now are probably going to be the three that go through. And I think the other thing that we noticed is that the bigger countries, because they have the depth, they called in more guys into their camp. Some of these players, some of these teams only called in the 23 that they're allowed to dress. And so they had to go with those 23, whereas the United States called in 26. Mexico, I believe, called in 26. Um, in Canada also had an extended roster and were able to do things like say goodbye to Alfonso Davies after that second match and still have enough guys to load up. So I think going forward, you may see teams bring in extra guys, especially when we see the injuries start to creep up because that is going to become a factor as well as we move forward. Yeah. I think the, the question about whether Canada is one of the top three teams in the group uh, is, has been answered already. Uh, I think you are right. It's pretty clear that Mexico, U.S., and Canada are the class of this group, and it's the October window is crucial for everyone else to prove that they're going to hang with those three. So that wraps up the September results for World Cup qualifying. Do want to touch on some of the uh, consequences of these matches? We did have some injury concerns, especially with the United States. Um, they ended up losing a bunch of guys due to injury uh, early on. Uh, Zach Steffen, the goalkeeper, presumptive number one, uh, had missed the first match with back spasms. Uh, he ended up being diagnosed with COVID-19, uh, did not get to play in any of the three matches, um, actually had a chance to play. Would have likely got seen the field for Manchester City after the break. Uh, it looks like he is out for a few days due to COVID. Um, sticking with the U.S., uh, Giovanni Reyna suffered a muscle injury in their opener against El Salvador. Uh, Borussia Dortmund says he's going to miss several games, um, and it's questionable whether or not he will be back for the October window. Uh, Serginho Dest left the Canada match with an ankle injury. Uh, they say he's going to miss uh, this week's UEFA Champions League match against Bayern Munich uh, with that ankle injury, and his long-term status is up in the air. Uh, Christian Pulisic ended up leaving the third match uh, in Honduras with an ankle injury, and Chelsea says he's going to be out for 10 days. So a really rough window for the United States. Uh, moving to Canada, Alfonso Davies ended up leaving the match against the United States uh, with a knock to his knee. He missed their final match against El Salvador. Davies did return to the field for Bayern Munich uh, in their match this past weekend against uh, RB Leipzig. So he's back on the field. And then for Mexico, uh, their big injury concern, Alexis Vega uh, suffered a sprained ankle. Uh, he missed it the last match for Mexico against Costa Rica. Uh, his long-term status is still up in the air as well. Uh, so some injury concerns after this first window. I'm sure we're going to see a lot of that with these three-match windows. It's tough on the players and for these teams that can call in 
extended rosters, it's going to be very beneficial. And for those guys that are on good teams, right? They're Mm -hmm. going back to their clubs and Champions League starts this week. Europa League starts this week. Europa Conference starts this week. So people are going to be having, and you have League Cups and and Super Cups and all these domestic competitions as in addition to league matches. So there's a lot of matches that are going to be put into a short window for some of these guys. And the strain of that is the question here. That's going to be the concern because for some of these guys, yeah, sure, they'll be injured. They actually may benefit from that because they don't have to play in, you know, nine games between now and the next window. Whereas some of these guys will, and that strain may cause them to become injured. Thus, you know, before the window, and we have to go through this for this fall. This fall is going to be very, very tough on these players. Yeah. And I think that one of the other things too, like looking at this window and, you know, how the international game is impacting the club game is, you know, looking at what ended up happening with the Brazilian players. Uh, We saw that, you know, they wanted the players held out for the players that were not allowed to go to international duty during due to red uh, list countries. Uh, Mexico had originally even lodged that Raul Jimenez missed this past weekend's game for uh, Mexico, but they ended up uh, all of the teams ended up withdrawing those complaints. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens going into the October window from that end as well. Will we see countries make exemptions for professional players that are going abroad? Um, and that, I think that's just something to keep our eye on as we as we go forward. That's going to be on FIFA. FIFA is going to have to get it, you know, get all these confederations into a room. And they're going to say, look, how are we going to make this work so that you guys can have your players in your clubs and also these national teams can be at full strength because they can't have this every single month where you don't know if a guy's going to be released because, you know, one day, you know, the country they're going to is a yellow country, is an amber yeah. country, then it's a red country, then it's a yellow country. Like that shouldn't matter. FIFA needs to get a hold of this quickly because otherwise it's it's clear that the clubs and the leagues are going to hold the power because all they're going to do is say no and we're seeing that they're winning it winning out because it's not like these players are saying well nope sorry i've been called in and they're going to you know brazil or going to mexico they were staying at home because they know who were paying their checks so yeah, it's not even paying this their is going to be an issue saying they're paying their checks it's the fact that these players would be required to stay in a hotel for 12 or for 14 days no training no access to the um, the usual nutrition that they get. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. really just, it's setting these players back um, a long way. So I know we need to move on, but that was just my last, uh, my last piece on that. No, I mean, it is a huge, huge uh, thing. And when it comes to World Cup qualifying, I mean, this stuff affects who's going to make the World Cup and who makes the World Cup affects a lot. Um, the repercussions down... It like, like repercussions are years down the line. Imagine, you know, Jamaica ends up going through and they miss out in the World Cup by like two points, right? This yeah. window would have been important because they couldn't get any of their guys in and that could have cost them a shot at the World Cup. We, yeah. we, this, is, this is going to happen. It may not happen in CONCACAF, but that will happen somewhere in the world. Someone will be, some team will be left at home for the World Cup because for one window, they were not able to get in their best player or their second best player, or their third best player. And those points will affect them in the final standings. Left, left at home for the World Cup. Couldn't be me. Wouldn't know what that's Won't like. be me. <laughs> Won't we'll, we'll be us. All right. So that wraps up scoreboard watch. Uh, we're going to move on to 
what we're going to call a new segment, uh, the first of a series, which will be like this is the heart of what I wanted this podcast to be all along. We're going to call a segment Pod on the Road. And a little background. So Donald and I both traveled this window. Uh, we actually attended all three U.S. men's national team games, uh, the qualifiers this past week. So we started in El Salvador, uh, came back to the U.S. to Nashville for the Canada game, ended up going down to Honduras. We're going to talk about that because the greatest thing about CONCACAF is the cultures. It is the vibes. And there were a lot of vibes. So, Donald, first up, um, well, Jonathan, what do you want to know about these trips? So I, I'm going to preface this by originally I was, you know, what did wasn't traveling to any of these games. I was in a wedding on on Sunday and still made the wedding. But you know, there was um, much hold, like much like hold, several. Hold up, I just want to say congrats, Kyle and Katie Joe, uh, on your wedding. Congrats, congrats. I'm sure you're listening. But yeah, I want to get that out there. Kyle may be listening, but I, I don't know if Katie is. But no, well, so he's going to make I, her we, listen to this part. He will it. make her listen exactly. Uh, we had we had some uh, some COVID issues in the house. Uh, it's under some COVID protocol. But um, I mean, I guess I want to know. You know, sitting down and watching that game on Thursday night was the atmosphere, especially during the national anthem, as crazy in person as it was on the broadcast. Crazier. Yeah, like I, I ended up watching the broadcast back, like when I got home uh, this past weekend, and I don't like. I'm kind of offended at CBS for how they failed to grasp like the intensity of the environment, like the crowd noise and the environment. Like you did not get a sense of how intense it was in the Cuscatlan for that game. I think you did when Gio shit himself during the uh, <laughs> yeah. during the national anthem is the best way I could put that. I mean, and like that was a funny thing because I saw the clip of that after the game because I mean we were sitting in the top corner. Uh, there, there's a scoreboard, but they weren't showing video or anything like that. Um, so you had no idea that happened. But yeah, I mean they were setting off friggin' fireworks over the stadium during the anthems. Like, I mean, when we say over the stadium, like if the stadium at its tallest point is 85 feet tall, these these fireworks were shooting off at 87. Like they were literally, I mean, the the remnants were just flying into the crowd, not on our side, but on this on the on the sideline over uh, over across from where the players bench were. But like it, these these things were shooting off low. They're 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 pretty low, but they were awesome and the broadcast did not fully grasp how loud that anthem was. It was, it was deafening. Ear, it was ear splitting. It like shaking the, shaking the, the foundations. It was, they were, they were jacked up. It was yeah. fun to see. And I do want to point out, they announced before the game that they were going to have a reduced capacity crowd of 29,000 Donald. Were there 29,000 people in there? Yes, there were. There were. Here's why. Because the stadium capacity is 30,000. So, yes, they reduced capacity by like a thousand people. <laughs> I don't, there was no reduced capacity. Like every yeah. aisle in that stadium was full of people packed in. Yeah, and there was just a little corner that didn't have people. That was it. And I don't yeah. know why, but like the people that were like 
in the aisle where we were could have easily fit in this little pocket corner uh, on the far sideline. But yeah, it was uh, it was funny because they kept saying, oh, it's 50 percent capacity, uh, which mm-hmm. is twenty nine thousand. And I was like, twenty nine thousand seems a little low or I mean, that's that's high for being 50 percent. I thought the stadium is not that big. Sure enough, the stadium fits like 30 or 31,000 and they put in 29. But everyone was vaccinated. You had to show proof. They even had doctors get on our bus and check everyone's ID and check everyone's uh, vaccination card to make sure that they were you know, fully vaccinated. You had to have two shots. You couldn't have had a J&J. So I thought that was pretty reassuring. Yeah. Do we want to back up and like kind of tell like the story of getting to the stadium? Because I feel like yeah. that's that's it. You want to take that? Yeah, so before I mean, the night before the game, we had been told uh, that there were a few uh, a few threats that had been made, not necessarily against us as people or against us as Americans, but just on the game, just security threats that um, we were told to, to take heed of. And at first they were saying, hey, you know, you probably shouldn't wear anything very outlandishly American or anything like that because you may have to walk through a crowd and you don't want to, you know, piss anybody off. Well, all I have is if you've known me in life, all I know is wearing outlandishly American shit when I go to these games. I don't I don't I don't I don't bluff. I don't slouch. You know who I am. You know who I represent. <laughs> there's no there's there's no if, ands or buts about it. So I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, I guess I'm just going to, you know, do some push ups and, and walk through <laughs> cock D's just ready to go. But what happened was uh, the embassy came through. U.S. soccer came through. And they set us up with a police escort that took us all the way into the stadium, which was pretty cool. Um, yeah. And so it was rush hour, too. So like it was rush hour. And, they, and, and the thing is, the, the cops, you think cops are like here, cops, you hear a thing rush hour. You kind of see like the part, the Red Sea and everyone goes through. No, no. Cops were asking people like, yo, please, can, can me and this bus get through? Like and some some cars were not having it. Some cars like, yo, I got to I got to go to the game just like you do. So. Uh, so we pull all the way, we get all the way to the stadium. It took about a half hour to get to the stadium and right outside the stadium, there's maybe about 10,000 people who have not gotten gone in yet. And a couple of people are banging on the bus and stuff like that. Not like anything harrowing, just yeah. all fun. Right. Yeah. So we pull into the stadium. And then, as I mentioned, the, uh, doctors and nurses get on the bus, they check all the IDs, they check all the vaccination cards. And then we finally just kind of get off the bus and literally get off the bus and can walk right into the stadium. Yeah. So they there, hold there was a second. line at our gate. There was, there was a, line. a line at our gate. Yeah, there was a line at our gate, but we just bypassed that line. <laughs> and we get in and they hold us for a second just to make sure that the aisle is clear to kind of escort us to our seats, which are, you know, in the end zone, but kind of in the top corner of the end zone. And so as we walk in and, and Schmidt, you can test this, like we walk in and you hear a couple people, you hear a couple people clapping. And so a few of us clap, you know, clap with them. And then all of a sudden, everyone around the stadium figured out what they were clapping for. And as we walk into the stands and start walking down the aisle to get to our seats, the entire stadium gives us a standing ovation, which was yeah. no joke, unheard of. Yeah, never seen that in my life. Um, everyone was, you know, we were getting some high fives. We we're getting some like, hey, welcome, good luck. Um, everyone was taking pictures. Like, you know, people were coming up and. At first, the police are kind of like, yo, yo, what are you here for? They're like, no, no, we're just taking pictures. And, you know, it was all love. That was that was a really special moment. I, you don't get to see that. And you'll see some pleasantries exchange. You'll see some Buenos Suertes and stuff like that. But never have I seen a whole standing ovation from the entire stadium. Yeah. And I mean, this was two and a half hours before kickoff. And there were 
15, 18,000 people in the stadium already. Like it was yeah, they full. opened the stadium at 1130 for an 805. <laughs> just, just wild. I, I, I saw a ladder there as well. On, on, were you guys near the person that brought a ladder into the game? I didn't see a ladder. I didn't see a ladder. Where All was right. this? Um, I saw it on uh, on Twitter. Uh, there were some shots of the crowd. Someone had brought a ladder into the game, <laughs> um, which really spoke to me as someone who was at a world, uh, not a World Cup, but at a U.S. soccer game where someone brought a door into the stadium. <laughs> and yep. that is a discussion that we can have on a later date. Um, yeah. Any other, um, you know, because I know we're going to cover a lot. Uh, we have another trip to cover, but any any other, you know, big takeaways or things? Um, was this the first time that either of you had been to El Salvador? Yes, for yes. me. Yeah. Yes. It was definitely, it was my first trip there. Um, I've been doing Duolingo for like two years in preparation for these trips, and I am not far enough. <laughs> I was able to I get tried. by. I was able to get by in my Spanish. And oh, duh, we forgot the we forgot the best part. Which part? We forgot the night before party. Oh so, God, yes. So we have to go to the night before party very quickly. The night before party was at this place called Cerveceria Chapultepec, which is Chapultepec Brewery, basically. Yeah. It's a now, chain. Like they're all over the place. There's actually some in the United States. They're in Mexico. It's there was one in Honduras it, it, attached to our hotel, but I, I don't think it was open for some yeah, reason. They had um, an opening. But yet. this place, Jonathan, this place, everything on the menu was a dollar thirty nine, American. Everything. Did you want a shot? That's a dollar thirty nine. Do you want a beer? That's a dollar thirty nine. The only thing. Do you want food? You want burger? Something like that. Anything. A dollar thirty nine. The only thing that wasn't a dollar thirty nine is if you wanted to get a bottle, <laughs> and you're thinking like, "Oh, a bottle of rum? How much was that? Sixteen dollars, like for a bottle of rum. Sixteen dollars for Tito's. Like, and it's worth noting that prices. it's worth noting that El Salvador uses U.S. dollars. So like, mm-hmm. this is U.S. dollars. A dollar thirty nine is a dollar thirty nine. So and it's not even like the cheap. Uh, terrible vodka you might be drinking in college. It is top shelf shit. A dollar and thirty nine. I spent mm-hmm. ten dollars at the night before party, and I had a great time. <laughs> I spent twenty, and because you know people kept buying shots because again they're dollar thirty nine. Like people were like, <laughs> I got this round of shots, and people were like, No, no, please, let me get this for ten people. This here's ten bucks. But like, I think I paid twenty bucks just to make sure that the bill was covered, and I know I overpaid by a lot. Like. Yeah. And 20 bucks in 20 bucks in DC could get me a, a drink, maybe a shot, but definitely not food. And I we had it all uh, for yeah. for that. So that was a lot of fun. Shout out to Cerveceria Chipotle. Yeah. And I do want to say, like, just for me personally, I was very proud of myself. I actually ordered a drink, my traditional rum and Sprite. I ordered it correctly. So that was a very proud moment because when we went to Panama back in 2017, I had an epic failure in my ability to convey what I actually wanted, and it worked this time. So the owl did teach me some things. The other thing I do (laughs) do was happy. The other thing I do want to know is next door between our hotel and Cerveceria Chipotlepec was the most ball and pizza hut I've ever seen in my life. Yes. They had a play place inside of a pizza hut, Jonathan. Two stories. I'm here for that. I'm here for that. Was Two there a stories. Ball, was there a ball pit? Yes. It was unfortunately closed by the time we would have been available to go, so we didn't get to partake. But 
And shout out to Papooses there. Papooses there. Oh, yeah. They're really, really good. uh, Do you want to tell more about the Papooses you had? Yeah. So I had, I mean, Revoltas is kind of the one traditional one that they have, which is like refried beans, pork, and cheese. Um, You basically have that everywhere. That's like the standard one. But I also had a shrimp one, which was fantastic. And being from D.C., we get we have pupuserias all over the place. So, of course, I was like the first thing I want to try is pupusa. And they were, as advertised, some of the best pupusas I've ever had. At breakfast, they had them at the hotel. You kind of can make like a, like a quesadilla, like breakfast quesadilla out of it. Take a pupusa, put like a, you know, get a homemade omelet and put that on top of it and kind of roll it up and, and eat it like a like a uh, taquito or something. Fantastic. Loved, loved every second of it. Yeah. Do you remember the spot that we went to before the night before party in the afternoon, that patio? Do, you, do we want to shout out the name? I don't remember the name of it. So it had a few names, um, and I'm, I'm blanking on the one that was on the side of the door. It was like Reloha or something, but that wasn't the I actual think, name. Yeah, it, was some, it was something like that. I just want to shout out to the security guard with the big gun that pointed us in that direction and told us to go in because it was a cool place. Um, yeah, he had the pump. He had the pump actually going. <laughs> yeah. Um, so El Salvador, highly recommend. I know there was the discussions about security and whether it's safe to go there. I personally never felt unsafe there. It was really nice being somewhere that took COVID seriously. Like I felt like, like Nashville, like anywhere in the southern southeastern United States. Um, but no, it was overall a great trip, even though the game was kind of dull um, itself. The game, like the game on the field was sort of dull, but the game as in in the stadium, I can't speak enough to what the experience inside the Cusket line was. Um, that lived up to the hype. That was all the CONCACAF I wanted it to be. 10 out of 10 would return. Yes. CONCACAF rating 10 out of 10. But that's not the only trip the down I took. Uh, and we're going to fold, instead of doing continuing the pot on the road segment, we're going to go fold this into CONCACAF laser focus, because I know you need to know about our CONCACAF brothers uh, and sisters. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to hit you with the CONCACAF laser focus in Honduras. Okay, welcome to CONCACAF Laser Focus. This episode, we are going to focus on Honduras, uh, one of the eight nations still remaining in World Cup qualifying. Uh, Jonathan, why don't you give us a little background on Honduras? Yeah, I'm going to try to condense this um, just because of we're gonna, we're covering a lot. A lot yeah, today, no so. full book report this week. Yeah, no, no, no. full. So, um, you know, Honduras is a Central American com- country. They've had their independence um, since 1821 um, from Spain and declared their independence from the uh, Mexican Empire in 1823. Um, so been a been a their own country since uh, since the 1800s, a population of a right under you know right around nine and a half thousand um people they you know they speak spanish there 
um, you know, pretty stable uh, cli- uh, political climate. What I wanted to really, I wanted to highlight one in particular thing as we kind of go through um, the history. And um, we know that in Central America, there has been um, different, you know, wars, conflicts, um, a lot of it due to some of the um, uh, meddling of the United States, um, but wanted to specifically talk about um, what happened in 1969 um, between uh, Honduras and El Salvador. Um, there was a war that became known as the football war. Um, it started as some some border tensions between uh, Honduras and El Salvador. Um, a lot of that due to um, you know the deteriorating Honduran economy. Um, there was some immigration issues with El Salvador, um, and it really hit a fever pitch um, when El Salvador met Honduras for a three round football elimination match uh, qualifier for the World Cup. Um, so. Uh, tensions escalated in 1969. The Salvadoran army invaded Honduras. Um, OAS, with the or- Organization of American uh, State, American States, had to negotiate a ceasefire to pull the troops out. Um, but I mean, a lot of this it was all culminated into a into three matches. Um, Honduras did eliminate the um, El Salvador. So. Um, not only do they end up winning the war, but they they won they won the games. Um, but yeah, that's really the big thing that I wanted to uh, to hit on and and really focus on. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a complex history there in in Central America, not just with El Salvador, but but also with Nicaragua. But wanted to uh, really highlight and bring some levity to um, some of the conflicts in the area. I mean, like this, that's a very, very concave. That's on brand. Like countries are literally fighting wars and like the games itself are part of it. You might as well call games like battles in the war. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, so that that's uh, that's really just the one thing I wanted to kind of highlight okay. from uh, the history and of Honduras. Yeah, thank you for the the background. Um, I'm gonna kick this to Donald because Donald arrived. The game was on Wednesday. Donald arrived. You arrived in the morning on Tuesday, correct? Like early afternoon. Yeah, early afternoon. You beat me there by a few hours. You actually got to spend an extra day there. Uh, Tell me about what it's like in Honduras. So Honduras was interesting because I had been to Roatan before, which is an island off of the coast, but I had not been to SPS uh, or, or the stadium. And the, the airports on the outside of town, I was supposed to get a ride uh, from the hotel. That ride never showed up. So uh, myself and Ryan, uh, one, of, one of our buddies, uh, uh, we had to end up taking a cab, which was, which was fine. We, you know, we took a cab. We, you know, Paid 20 bucks American and we were able to go from the airport into the main heart of uh, San Pedro Sula. But the the first thing that I was greeted with were tacos now and, and baleadas. So, so baleada is the like national dish of, Hondur- of Honduras. Um, Eric, you did not get to partake in this. The one no. baleada I had was fantastic. I want to have more, but we never did because we found the most banging taco place. Probably in Central America. It, it is incredible. <laughs> I mean, that's if a big statement like, there. If any of you guys like birria tacos, this place had all of them. And they were all fantastic. Uh, it was called Pinche Taco Shop. It was about a block and a half from our hotel. 
And we ended up going back the next day, but this place was fantastic. So we had those and kind of just went to the pool and kind of chilled for a little bit because the thing about San Pedro Sula is they have a curfew. And for as Americans, they basically tell you, uh, you know, don't go anywhere. And uh, especially after dark, they make it there's a curfew. So you can't be on the streets at night. So there's a lot of stuff that we just kind of relaxed and just kind of said, you know, we're going to be doing a lot today or tomorrow. It's really hot out. Let's just kind of hang out by the pool. And then we got dinner and our night before party just kind of turned into just hanging out by the pool. We got a bunch of chicken from this place called Power Chicken. And Eric will tell you about his meal, but let me tell you about what we had. We decided there's 10 of us. So we're like, okay, let's get a few family meals. And we're like, okay, well, we're going to eat a lot. We're really hungry. Let's get like six or seven family meals. Now, I think they ended up getting eight. <laughs> when I tell you, they came back with bushels of chicken, bushels of chicken and chicken fried rice, where if you ever have a styrofoam takeout tray from a Chinese restaurant, you're thinking, oh, OK, this, you know, have the little trays and stuff. No, no. This thing was piled to the brim in chicken fried rice to the point where if you opened it and you opened it wrong, half of the chicken fried rice would spill out because it was little like it's almost like they closed it and then stuffed more chicken fried rice in there. <laughs> we had eight of those. There's no way we were finishing all this food, but somehow we were able to, to eat, you know, power most through most of it, pun kind of intended. Uh, but we were trying to, we, were, we ate a lot of it. And then we ended up giving the rest away uh, to some of the workers that were downstairs. Cause we, I mean, we literally had enough where I could, I'm a big dude. I could probably eat in this thing for a week and still been eating power chicken the rest of the night. So we did that. And because of that we got the itis and we just fell asleep. Like our night before was very, very small, but Honduras is also very, uh, it's very hot and humid down there. And, and so because of that, it kind of, your energy kind of gets zapped very quickly. So it was a nice night. It was a nice evening. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun, uh, but it definitely ended early because of the power chicken. Yeah. So I landed right around about nine 30. Uh, so I had to take a taxi to the hotel by myself. Um, shout out to the Hyatt place for the, you know, the ride. Um, Mr. I got Schmitty. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you to Brian Hexel for the beautiful, uh, welcome sign, uh, they, they had for me, but I got back and on the counter of our hotel, cause I was staying with uh, a couple friends, uh, two containers full of stuff from power chicken. One of them was literally just fried rice. The other one had a piece of a couple pieces of chicken, like one of the ribs. Like I tried, it's like okay, this this rocks. I can I can fuck with this, and um, so I went to bed. Next day, I had power chicken on the mind. It's like power chicken is like legitimately across the street from the hotel. So they said don't venture out too far from the hotel. Uh, in the morning, I walked down the street um, to the like the closest convenience store. Got a couple things. Got some Gatorades, you know, for after the game. Uh, past multiple dudes just standing outside businesses with, you know, big guns. Like, I, f I feel pretty good about this. <laughs> and um, for lunch, I decide power chicken is the play. Uh, the sign is like, you got to Google it. Like, the logo is a jacked, muscular chicken, man. <laughs> you know, I have the perfect explanation for what this chicken looks like okay <laughs> okay go Jonathan, for it. have you seen family guy yes 
Okay. Have you seen, you know, the, the, the recurring, uh, yeah, thing the recurring about chicken Peter bit. fighting the yeah. chicken that is power chicken, but power chicken has like 97 more muscles than that chicken does. Like he's yeah. like, I, cause I saw the picture. I saw, I, and I, I also looked it up. Yeah, you can um, Google us. He's like um, a CrossFit Foghorn Leghorn, like a <laughs> yeah. Foghorn Leghorn, like really hit the gym um, and and just got absolutely ripped. Uh, that would be power chicken. Yeah, no. Foghorn so, Leghorn never skipped any day during pandemic. He was he was he was, in was the gym. all business, all business. So I ended up walking across the street to get power chicken and. As I referenced earlier, my Spanish is clearly not up to par. I walk in. They give me like a deli ticket to like go order. I have no idea what anything means. Like it's almost like a fast food place. I had no idea what to do. They told me to go sit in a corner. They had all these socially distanced chairs like for a waiting area. I'm like, I have no idea what to do. So I got on my phone and I ordered online. Got myself. (laughs) They had chicken tenders look delicious chicken tenders and fries and then i got two pieces of like the rotisserie grilled chicken on the side and i also got two of the barbecue like spare ribs like pork ribs as well like two two to three meals worth of food it was like 15 dollars with a drink just incredible so get my food i'm waiting there walk get the food walk across the street and i have to tell you one of the best meals I've ever had on the road. Just everything absolutely incredible. The chicken, just tender, moist, delicious. The ribs, even the ribs, like the barbecue sauce, I like. I don't even know how to explain it. It was just, Donald knows exactly what I'm talking about. I'm just like speechless. This was really good chicken. This was really good. I mean, the ribs were, I, I think I had one rib and it was pretty good, but psh- <laughs> a chicken fried rice that rotisserie chicken i didn't even have the fried chicken we like we didn't we didn't have we didn't have enough arms to carry the fried chicken we just got the rotisserie chicken that was enough okay and so I yeah am, that i am hungry and you you bastards are not helping it at all <laughs> listen next in two cycles next time the u.s has to qualify if they get a game of honduras i'm not gonna lie half the reason i would go back would be power chicken who says we have to wait till qualifying? That's that's right. I mean, there's always Nations League, a much more important competition. Um, or when Honduras, I mean, or when Power Chicken hires us to be uh, the official podcast sponsor of the podcast. Listen, Power Chicken reshared my story. Like I, I gave them content, and they blasted it out on the interwebs. Uh, so they're already fans of my work, um, and I'm fans. <laughs> I'm I'm definitely a fan of their work. <laughs> Um, so yeah, lunch was great. Uh, I ended up hanging by the pool the rest of the afternoon for the game. Like Donald said, it was muggy as hell there. I mean, it was high eighties, probably felt like high nineties, but just hung out at the pool, drank some Imperials waiting for the game. Uh, Donald, you want to talk about going to the game and the experience yeah. of getting there. Also, shout out Salvavita because we drank the hotel bar out of it two separate days. Um, that was the only reason why Eric was unable to, he was only able to drink Imperiazas because Salvavita was sold out. Uh, we had bought them all and drank them all. But uh, getting to the stadium was a similar setup. We you know, had a police escort. We kind of rolled in with the Honduran team because they were staying next door. And uh, so we were able to 
that basically just combined the escorts and we were rolling in first and then they rolled in behind us. But uh, again, they just pulled us right into the stadium, like past everybody it took maybe what, 20 minutes to get to the stadium. Uh-huh. We pulled right in and literally they took us out and said, okay, your, your gate's going to be right over here into the stadium. It took a little bit to kind of go around the stands because we had to go through a special gate to get yeah. to our section. Uh, the gates at the Stadio, the gates at the Stadio Olympico, don't make a lot of sense getting from one spot to another. Because right. like when we were getting in, they made us go through like this one into the stands, up this stairway, through this one gate, and then on the way out, like we just went down some back stairway, and there was like which nothing. we could have just gone up. We could have just place. gone up in the first place, right? Um, but yeah, so we ended up doing that and we had a section essentially to ourselves. I think, I mean, there's a few people next to us, but there was really a couple people behind us, but you know, it was about 25 or 30 of us just kind of chilling in this section by ourselves and, uh, overlooking. I mean, there wasn't even a lot of people in the section underneath us, uh, or above us. So it really was, uh, we were kind of insulated away from everything that was going on for the most part. There were still a few people there, but again, People were coming by wishing us luck and, you know, saying like, oh, America, good luck and, you know, welcome, you know, those sort of things. So uh, while the atmosphere is, I think I say this to reiterate that um, because before this, we saw some articles and we, Eric and I didn't really get to read these until we got back. But people were talking about like basically how these people are animals and how they're, you know, they throw severed heads onto the field and they, you know, that Americans are unsafe and they have to, you know, we have to be literally walked in and out we could enter that stadium on our own it was everyone was fine everyone was showing mad love to us uh and we saw nothing of that so uh, and i'm talking for the group i mean i can speak individually eric can speak individually but like as a group nobody gave us any problems and i think it, it when we talk about the media portraying what these world cup qualifiers are like on the road yes they're intense but you can leave it at that and you can describe it in a way that's accurate. And I don't think, uh, I, I don't think, I think they're being disrespectful to El Salvador and Honduras when they were talking about some of the things they were saying to, in order to pass the, the, the sniff test of it being intense. These, these matches were intense enough. These crowds were intense enough, but it was all love. And, and if you were, if you were sitting on the fence, don't sit on the fence, go to one of these games because you'll see for yourself that, there's really nothing to worry about when you're with a group of people and that everyone there is there for the same reason, the same passion and the same love. We're just going for, we're just rooting for separate teams. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I cannot speak highly enough about like how nice everyone was, how gracious they were. Like before the game, like we're taking pictures with the opposing fans through the fence. We're like fist bumping and things like that. Everyone wanted to trade stuff with us. Like they were trying to get scarves, hats, jerseys. They wanted to, trade everything like it was just like i don't i didn't get any animosity at all and even as the game went on the only time we actually got we actually got hit with anything like i don't think we ever were like attacked in any way until the u.s tied the game so yeah i think it's like one one cup flew i think someone said they got hit with a quarter like there was some stuff that was flying down. Obviously, we were too busy losing our shit to really pay attention to what was going on. But it was right. all coming from like the upper upper deck of Estadio Olimpico. Like the people to our sides, people below us, no one was really giving us any problems. 
Uh, obviously, for everyone that knows what happened in the game, like Honduras went up one nothing, and like they were celebrating hard, and like no one was really like teasing us, taunting us at all. Um, then we tied it, and there was the few things that ended up coming down. But once it became three one, the U.S. started pulling away. Like the crowd turned, but they did not turn on us. They didn't turn on the U.S. They turned on their own team. Um, you saw like riot police having to like scatter over towards behind the benches because fans were throwing shit at the players on and the coach on the bench. Um, after the game, you saw fans just surrounding the tunnel where Honduras was leaving the field and just yelling, just motherfucking their own team off the field. It's like they're not even mad at us for winning this game. They're mad at themselves for how they actually. Went. They actually stopped like it, it, I don't know if you saw this, but like they kind of stopped as Christian Pulisic was walking off the field. They stopped throwing stuff at their own team to give him give him a nice round of applause and they let him, you know, exit the field. And then they resumed throwing shit at their team like they had they had some deference. They're like, oh, you know, like that guy right there is really good. He played a good game. He you know, unfortunately got hurt. But uh, he, yeah, they were all of the ire was directed at their own team. It was never directed at us or or the players. Yeah, the fans, they didn't bother throwing any of their bags of water at us. <laughs> How many bags, bags of, water of water did you drink? Not enough. <laughs> yeah, I had one. I I bought two, but I had to give one away. Those, I had at least I had at least two. Yeah. And if you aren't familiar, it's legitimately a plastic bag full of water. Like, you know, the bubble wrap type things. It's that filled with water and they're selling them for 10 Limpira a piece, which the exchange rate is 24 to one. Um, so it was like 40 cents for a bag of water in the stadium. You bite off the end and drink it and just suck the water out of the thing. It's, it's probably not the most sanitary thing, but it's Especially in the age of COVID. Yeah, right. It tastes like CONCACAF. <laughs> All right. So that kind of wraps up our experience at the game. Donald, you want to talk a little bit about like what's other than that game and national team, what's soccer like in Honduras? Yeah. So very briefly, uh, Finn afoot. Uh, or the Federación Nacional Autónoma de Fútbol de Honduras. Uh, they were founded in 1935. That is the uh, federation for Honduras. Uh, they joined FIFA in 1946, CONCACAF in 1961. They have three divisions of Honduran soccer. They had an amateur league, but that is now gone. Uh, the teams that you may have heard of, Olympia uh, is the most successful club. They've won 33 titles. Montagua, Real España, and Marathon are the other teams that you've probably seen uh, over the years, they've had the most success. They have a domestic cup, the Copa Presidente, and then they have the Supercopa, which is the winner of the league, uh, the, the top flight against the winner of the Honduras Cup. So that's basically how the structure is. There is no women's league yet. Um, I think there might be one in the works, but it doesn't seem like that's coming anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, women's soccer is still on the way up in that area of CONCACAF. Um, just briefly about the women's national team and some of their background. Uh, their first international match was actually July 1998. Uh, they had 11-0 loss to Guatemala in Guatemala City. Uh, currently ranked uh, 118th in the re most recent FIFA women's rankings. Uh, they did not enter qualifying for the 2018 CONCACAF Women's Championship, so they weren't even in qualifying uh, for the most recent Women's World Cup. Uh, in the Women's Olympic Qualifying Championship, they were, for the 
most recent Olympics. Uh, they were knocked out in the qualifying stage, finishing last in their group. Uh, they were paired up with Panama and Guatemala. Uh, they did not score a goal. They uh, finished dead last. Uh, that Guatemala loss actually, I believe, is their last official match. Uh, that was back in October of 2019. So it's been a minute since they've played. But with the overhaul of women's soccer in CONCACAF, uh, they've got some games coming up. So the CONCACAF W Championship draw was last month. They were drawn into Group E. Uh, that qualifying competition kicks off in November of 2021. Uh, Honduras' women's national team will be facing Haiti and the British Virgin Islands this November. Uh, so it looks like they're getting back on the field. And like other nations, uh, their women's national team is going to be getting some much-needed games. Uh, Jonathan, let's go to the men's side. What do we need to know there? That we don't already know. So, so talking about the uh, the men's team is so currently ranked 63rd in FIFA. So they're up four. Um, their highest ever ranking um, was this was the 20th in September of 2001, um, and their lowest following falling all the way down to 101st uh, in December of 2015. Um, biggest win was a 10-0 win over Nicaragua in march of 1946 which is um you know if you know what knowing the uh, history between those two countries is is a pretty big deal um they have made three appearances in the world cup first one was in 1982 uh, and most recently was uh in 2014 um where they finished uh bottom of their group um securing zero points um they have had some success in the CONCACAF championship um and winning it uh best is champions in 1981 um and then nations league final are one of the four countries that has made an appearance in the CONCACAF nations league final which we all know is the most important tournament in international soccer yeah. I mean, if you look at CONCACAF in tiers, I feel like Honduras is definitely one of the upper echelon, like second tier teams. Yeah. Um, Los yeah, Catrachos. And, well, yeah. And they're definitely, and we've talked about this before, they're definitely a team that's in the midst of some some tr- uh, transition. Uh, I, the last thing I do want to call out is their player with most caps is Manuel Figueroa, who we saw most recently, who has 172 caps. Damn. That is a lot. Um, but as you mentioned, they did make the semifinals of the CONCACAF Nations League. So they are among the elite in world soccer. So yeah, that's Honduras. I think the next thing that we need to do is move on to real team or fake team. Jonathan, you're on the hot seat. Let's all go. Right, all right. Are you feeling good? You feeling good about this? I feel good about this. I... Uh... You know, it's it's been a while since I've been on the hot seat. Um, no one's gotten more than four, and I think this last go around, I don't think any of us has gotten more than three. Have they? I yeah. I feel like I had a very good outing the last time. I gotta put together like a scoreboard for us for to like keep a running track. We will get that on the Podbean website. Is the running tally of real team fake team um, results? Uh, but for those of you who maybe knew. What we're going to do, because CONCACAF is CONCACAF, some of the teams that you come across in these countries, they sound made up. So it's up to us to figure out if they're real, a real team 
or a fake team. So Donald's going to give out some team names. I'm going to give out some team names, and Jonathan has to decide, does that sound like a real team or does it sound like a fake team? So, Donald, go ahead with our first team. Okay, so the first team we have up is CD Medalla de Plata. We go real team. That is a fake team. CD Medalla de Plata. Medalla de Plata is Spanish for silver medal. I don't know why I decided to do that, but yes, silver medal. That is a fake team. I race start. All right. <laughs> My first team, uh, Honduras Progresso. We're going to go real team. That is a real team. Uh, they're in the Liga Nacional. They're Honduras Progresso because they're based in El Progreso. Uh, they are currently eighth place in the Apertura 2021 season. All right. The next team I have for you is Agua Caliente. So hot water. <laughs> That's yes, hot water. Hot Jonathan knows his Spanish. <laughs> Ooh. Let's go real team. Like that just that just seems like I, we, you've already got me with silver medal. Let's go real team. Are you sure? Yes. You are correct. Yes. <laughs> Agua Caliente. Believe it or not, is a real team. Uh, they are in the Honduran Liga Mayor, which is the third division of Honduran football. I, I'm very interested in the reasoning for this team. Um, as someone who is a big fan of the band Hot Water Music, I like to think <laughs> that that is the reason, um, but I don't think that is. Um, but I think I'll just keep that. I'll, I'll believe that in my heart. Listen, folk punk is hot in uh, Honduras. <laughs> All right, uh, my next team, Real Honduras. Man, these are the ones that just like that get me because it's like it sounds like you you throw you throw a Real in there. Let's go, real team. That is a real team. They are in La Liga Mayor. They're actually based in San Luis. All right. All right. So the next one I have for you is Homeboy. Homeboy. Oh, man. This would give me four. <laughs> oh, man. You know what? I'm going to swing for the fences here. I have, I'm going to go real team. That is incredible. Yes, they are a real team. They are really homeboy. called Homeboy. <laughs> they are also in the third division. I don't know why they're called Homeboy why you know all these other names are in spanish but this one is straight up homeboy i almost i mean i didn't have to but like if it had been boys it would have been the question of uh s or z i may we may put yeah. that on the t-shirt the podcast may it may say world of Concacaf on the front and the back it's gonna say s or z, s or z. <laughs> <laughs> merch coming soon yeah you gotta drop that on the patreon yet to yet to be established uh all right my last team is Arsenal. So I've seen we've seen a lot in in South and Central American countries that teams that have names similar to or even the same name as I, I'm gonna go real team. Let's, let's I'm gonna swing for the fences. Um, it could very well be fake, but I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a guess. Go for glory. Be the first one to get five and probably strike out. Arsenal is a real team in Honduras. Uh, they're based in Roatan, actually. Um, they are in currently in the Liga de Ascenso. 
So, Jonathan, huge, huge Five. outing. Five out of six. Congratulations. How do you feel? I feel great. I uh, I mean, it's it, it's basically better than going to a game is, is winning this. Um, <laughs> winning real team, fake team. <laughs> is winning, winning real team, fake team. Uh, but, no, I feel great. Okay. Well, congratulations. I will say, that for the record, that Honduras has a lot of teams you were mentioning you had the right logic. They have a lot of teams that are named after other teams, but they're very random, right? They have Real Sociedad, Arsenal, Juventus. Like they have like, it's, it's almost like they saw a team on TV. They're like, yeah, that's cool. I want to be like them. And they, and they name a team after them. So they have a few that are just kind of random like that. So now, I'll, I'll give a little history about this. A lot of those instances, I mean, I don't know about Honduras specifically, but I know specifically, um, the Everton that's in Brazil and the Liverpool that are in um, that are in, in Uruguay is the fact that a lot of it, it was people from those cities that came mm-hmm. over and brought the like the rules over um, and kind of started that then named their teams after where they were from. So a uh, little little history lesson there. Or they had they had history with that club. Like I know yeah. uh, there's a couple where. Like for Barcelona, if you see Barcelona somewhere, it's because there is a socio, there is a member of the, of yeah. Barcelona who moved there and said, I- "I'm going to start a Barcelona club here." Yeah, nice. Well, Jonathan, congratulations. Uh, that wraps us up for this episode. Uh, we look forward to uh, the next episode, which will be fo- focused on the upcoming October window. Uh, we'll be out with that in the next couple weeks. I wouldn't expect that anytime soon. Uh, thanks for listening. Again, follow us on social media at PodkaCalf, just like it sounds, P-O-D-K-A-F. That's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Like, follow, subscribe. Make sure you rate us, review us on Apple Music. Um, Donald, what else are you working on right now? Uh, so I, I also detailed um, this trip on the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. I heard you had uh, a lovely great guest. Eric here was 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 our valuable guest. Uh, so go check that out. Episode 60 uh, of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. If you want to hear more of Eric Schmidt's beautiful dulcet tones. Uh, but yes, <laughs> I, I'm, over, I, I'm over there. And also you can find me on Twitter at BlazingDW. Yeah, you can find me, uh, you know, at Broadway Sports Media at uh, JSlapeSSP on Twitter. I will throw a couple things out there. Um, I know we touched on earlier the World Cup uh, process of you know selecting the cities for for North America. Uh, ben over there sat down with uh, Butch Spearin, who's the head of um, the Nashville Board of um, the Tourism, and and so they're really interesting conversation there. And then if you saw these games and you saw the I, what I'm going to call the official scarf of the road. Um, Eric was was front and center m- multiple times rocking the the AO Nashville scarves. Um, those are for sale on the page. Also, if you were at the game in Nashville and did not get a chance to uh, pick yourself up a uh, commemorative item, we also have game scarves still available. I will uh, make sure we reshare that on Twitter and the Instagram. Um, Definitely pick one up if you were at the game or you just want a memento of the U.S.'s first home World Cup qualifier in the 2022 cycle. Or if you happen to be a Canada fan, a memento of their historic 1-1 victory uh, in Nashville, Tennessee.
Uh, so that will wrap us up. Uh, thanks to Jeffrey Slate for the music. Uh, thank you to Leah Voigt for the graphics. Uh, much appreciated to both of you for assisting the con- the World of Concaf podcast. Um, thank you for listening. We really appreciate all the positive feedback that we get. I had people mention to me on these trips uh, here in Nashville that they love this podcast. We love that you listen. This episode is more of what I want it to be, talking about experiencing what CONCACAF can truly be at its best. Uh, So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.